Hello and welcome to the Tebby podcast. I'm Robin Powell. This podcast is brought to you by Regis Media, which provides high quality video content for financial advice and planning firms. Whether it's marketing or educational content you're looking for, get in touch with us via the website at regismedia.com. So we live in interesting times, don't we? War in Ukraine, energy worries, inflation and a possible global recession. There's certainly plenty of bad news around. And of course, stock markets around the world have fallen considerably and there seems to be no end in sight to the current volatility. We wouldn't be human if headline anxiety didn't have an impact on us. Our guest today is Craig Lazara from S&P Dow Jones Indices. Craig is a managing director based at S&P's headquarters in New York City. Now, I'm not saying that Craig can alleviate any anxiety you might be feeling, but he can at least put all of this into some sort of perspective. Enjoy my interview with Craig Lazara. So, Craig, thank you very much for joining me. I suppose the question everybody's asking, and uh, I I don't expect you at all for one moment to provide an answer to it, is, you know, are we in a bear market? You know, are we at the start of a a long market downturn? Well, I'm I'm glad you don't expect me to answer it, Uh, but I'll do do my best. There is no official definition of a bear market. I mean, typically we say a a bear market is is a 20% decline and a a correction is a a 10% decline. And by that definition, we're we're clearly in correction territory for most major indices, certainly those, those here in the U.S., uh, and, but, but short of, uh, short of Russia, uh, uh there, there's nobody that, I, that I'm aware of that's in, in an actual, uh, bear market. Now the, the question, the, the better part of the question, I think Robin, to take, to give it the seriousness that it, that it deserves is where do we, where do we go from here? And I think what I would say in response to that is, uh, it, it's, it's impossible to know. I mean, it, it's not at all difficult to make up a list of, or to, to come up with a list, uh, one doesn't have to make it up, unfortunately, mm-hmm. um, of really unpleasant things that could happen over the course of the next several months. Uh, mm. There could be a widening of the war in the Ukraine. Uh, there could be other commodity shocks. Uh, who knows what China might do from a, from a geopolitical standpoint? Uh, ongoing high inflation and central bank policy. I mean, there's lots of things that that, that one could cite as potential sources of, of harm. But I, I uh, in thinking about this question, I mean, I, I, I think back uh, to as recently as two years ago, I mean, to where were we, if we were recording two years ago this time, uh, we would have said we're in the midst of a global pandemic. Uh, there's obviously a, a very serious disease out there. We don't know much at that point about uh, where it came from, how virulent it might be, how uh, uh, how far it might spread, what the ultimate fatality rate would be in response to that uncertainty. Uh, I, as far as I'm aware, every major economy in the world voluntarily shut itself down. Not surprisingly, uh, the markets fell very quickly. There was a huge response, obviously, the suppression of, of economic activity. So I recall the S&P 500 fell something like 37% in the space of not much more than a month. 
uh, between mid-February and mid-March, uh, uh, or end of March uh, 2020. And for calendar year 2020, the S&P 500 was up 18%. So uh, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's hard to know. And when you're in the midst of it, uh, as, as we are now, mm-hmm. uh, it's particularly hard to know uh, because uh, they're just, there's, they, it, it feels very frightening because there's a lot of uncertainty uh, and uh, very often historically, Buying at times of great uncertainty uh, over the long run are, are times of, of great opportunity. Certainly, that would have been the case uh, two years ago. Mm, exactly. As you say, we, we are right in the eye of the storm um, at, at the moment. Um, a pattern we're seeing, um, and of course, not not unusual at all for um, periods of, of, of market volatility. We, we're, we're typically seeing, you know, markets up 3% one day, down 3% the next, up 3% the next. And it's a real roller coaster like that. There was an interview with Gene Farmer in the New York Times the other day, in which he explained how, you know, there'd been this massive injection of uncertainty in, in, in the global markets and investors are struggling to, you know, quantify that the, the the risk if you like that that poses to the global economy and and, and the financial markets do, do you think that's fair yes yeah i mean you, you can you can measure you can almost measure it in some ways if you look at the the vix index or other measures of volatility um the vix uh uh at the moment is is in got a got a 32 handle um and you know typically when vix is is above 30 I mean, what what that basically is telling is you should expect you know two or three percent moves every day. It's that's that's the level of volatility that we have, um, and of course the problem with volatility is as as Fama, Fama suggests is you you don't know how it's how it's going to come out. Um, the I, I think one of the, the certainly the lessons of history uh, is is that for investors who have the luxury of doing nothing mm. this is not a i mean th- there's no necessary reason to panic um one of i mean we uh, i'll cite uh, uh jason swig uh wrote in the wall street journal a couple mm. a couple of weeks ago uh, was talking about you know the, the way investors feel about and it isn't i say feel it is an emotional uh, emotional experience way investors feel about what's what's going on in the market. And he said it may, may I'm not going to quote him exactly. Uh, it may seem like a disadvantage that, that in individual investors don't have forecasts and don't have don't have opinions and don't have to react to what's going on. He said that's not a that's not a disadvantage. That's a big advantage. Uh, if, if the the history is very clear uh, that even if you are making your very first investments, uh, at a, not you know not from a, a long established portfolio, but if you if you're making a first investment at a period when volatility is elevated as it is now, uh, that is not a bad entry point. You may have to be patient. Uh, it may it may take a year, two years, three years uh, before you begin to see profits. Uh, but entering at a time of high volatility is 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 not a bad thing, mm. provided uh, you have the the uh, wherewithal uh, mm. to uh, to ignore the volatility. Mm. 
So, uh, Craig, for, for, for many years, you, you've run uh, Spiva, which um, as most yes. of our uh, listeners will, will know uh, is the S&P Index versus Active Scorecard. It's basically a scorecard of, of active fund managers around the world compared to you know, the, the appropriate S&P uh, index. Um, I, I assume, Craig, it's too early for you to say or whether you've got any clues at all as to how active managers have actually fared during this. Well, I suppose the, the volatility, in a sense, started in January, didn't it? Really, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then yeah. it certainly accelerated with, with the invasion, quite, quite honestly. You know, you're, you're, you're right. I mean, we, we are just now beginning. Uh, I mean, literally, when I say just now, literally yesterday as we, we record this, uh, Spiva for Latin America came out for, for best for calendar 2021 though. So, I mean, we're looking mm -hmm. at, at historical results and, and I, I haven't looked through the results. They're, they're about what you would expect. They're, they're consistent with history and the history of this, uh, obviously Robin, you know, this is, is that the majority of active managers underperform, uh, most of the time. Now the, the thing, uh, and, and so to, to say what, What's going on now in 2022? How will that play out? I, I think there are there are, are both positives and negatives. Um, the the biggest positive for active managers uh, is that that there's a slightly I should say it this way: active management tends to be tends to do slightly less bad. I won't say do slightly better, but, but slightly <laughs> less badly in periods when the market declines because active managers have the ability to, to raise cash. Uh, and obviously, if they do that in a timely way and the market goes down, that's a source of value added. So that, that now, whether whether as a group, they don't actually do it that well, but, but that is certainly a potential source of, mm. of value added. Uh, so that's, that's, you know, as, as we say, if we if we look for what's what the first part of 2022 is going to look like, that's something that might be on the side of, of at least some active managers. Uh, contrary to that, one of the things that's that's very clear in in the Spiva data is that is that most active managers are underweight, lower volatility, low beta names, uh, and overweight, higher volatility names. Uh, because you, you see that because when I, for example, when our low volatility index underperforms, uh, that which which is to say, when the least volatile stocks are, are not doing well, when low volatility underperforms, uh, that tends to be a relatively more favorable time for active management. And when low volatility outperforms, that tends to be a much more difficult time for active managers, and. Uh, as, as as you will as you will not be surprised to learn, one of the best performing factor indices for the best for the last month has been low volatility. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and so, uh, yeah, I would I would speculate that that this this will not be a particularly favorable time for for active managers. Uh, the other the other thing to say, I think, is the one of the worst performing sectors over the last month or so has been technology, which has been the, the source of, of much outperformance for the mm -hmm. past several years. So to the degree that managers were tilted in that direction, uh, again, it will be a be a more difficult time uh, going forward. Mm. I, I'm on that, I'm on that subject, I, I get regular updates from um, 
our friend Larry Swedro almost daily as to how uh, Kathy Wood at, at ARC is doing. And uh, yes. <laughs> uh, the, the last missive I had uh, from, from, from Larry was, you know, down, I think, 65% from the, the height 13 months ago, which yeah. means that she has to outperform um, or she, she has to produce returns of 265% yeah. just to recover to the amount that she's yes. lost um, in, yes. in, in that time. And, um, yeah, you, you, you do hear about a lot of technology managers who've got, who've got very unstuck. But I suppose in their defense, they run technology funds, you know, uh, and they're going to pick technology stocks and technology is going to come in and out of fashion. Yeah, no, that's 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 certainly true, and and you know, I I I've met Kathy Wood. I don't know the fund the fund. Well. I mean, I, I I know what she does, obviously, but don't know the fund mm. uh, intimately well. But no, clearly, if 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 you listen to what Kathy Wood says and you buy the fund, you know you're getting a tech fund. You know you're getting the disruptive what she characterizes as disruptive technologies, mm. uh, and uh, and. And you should expect that to be a volatile ride. But when I when I say that that technology has has uh, has been particularly weak uh, this year, I'm really referring more not to not to specialist technology funds, but to more general active actively managed uh, equity portfolios, uh, where uh, a source of value added for a, a good many years uh, has been uh, overweights in technology, uh, and and that's gone away. Uh, so unless unless a, a, a general active manager were very nimble at reducing his tech exposure uh, this year, uh, whatever helped him last year is, is 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 hurting. So how have the different segments of the market, if you like, responded so far to 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 events in Ukraine? Clearly, Russian funds are in all sorts of trouble, m- many of them uh, gated and, and so on, and yes. investors can't get their money out. Sure. Um, you, you mentioned tech uh, and the tech um, um, bubble burst, bursting, uh, but in a sense that kind of predated Ukraine, didn't it? Um, a, a bit, a well, little bit, yes. Yeah. So, so how how have the different um, uh, sections of the market, if you like, responded to to this? Crime? Yeah, there 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 have been some some very wide swings, or we, as we we call it, very wide dispersion. Uh, whether you look at at the factor level or at at the sectoral level, so again, not not shockingly. Given what's happened, uh, the S and P five hundred uh, in uh, uh, the month of of, of March uh, uh, to date, I think, is down uh, four four point six percent. Energy is up nine point seven percent, and uh, by far the best performer. And not surprisingly, why the oil prices are are are, are shooting upward every day. Uh, the weaker fact sectors have been uh, technologies we've talked about, financials, uh, and, and also consumer discretionary, and that that again kind of makes sense. If there's going to be a general decline in economic activity, uh, consumers will cut back on their on their discretionary purposes uh, purchases. But that spread uh, within the space of, of really only a, a little more than a week in the month of, of March, as we record this, is is, is just is just enormous. Uh, if you look at at factors as opposed to to sectors, you get a kind of a similar uh, a similar look. Uh, uh, I mentioned low volatility earlier. You know, the market's down four four and a half percent. 
uh, low vol for the month of March, at least through yesterday, was was down about uh, 0.6%. Uh, so, you know, good defensive sector, dividend sensitive stocks are doing pretty well. Uh, value is doing uh, pretty well and, and growth, uh, which, uh, as you know, is technology dominated growth, momentum, high beta are, are, are all lagging uh, quite, uh, quite substantially. So there's there's a very wide dispersion of uh, of returns. And uh, coming back to a question you asked earlier, Robin, typically. Uh, the very first paper we ever published to talk about market dispersion was called dispersion semicolon or colon measuring market opportunity. Dispersion is a measure of opportunity. Um, and so when dispersion widens, other things equal, uh, it, it, it means that active managers have the opportunity to create more value uh, than they do when dispersion is narrow. The, the question is not, is the opportunity there because the opportunity clearly is the question is, are they able to take advantage of it? And, and history says that, that uh, by and large, they are not. Mm. So, so we talking about history. We've got a major historical um, event on our hands. You know, the the invasion of of of, of Ukraine is the biggest conventional um, a- attack uh, in in Europe since the Second World War. Yes. Um, we, I think the last last European war we had, I remember reporting on in, in Yugoslavia in the in, in the early 90s. I mean, let, let's hope that it doesn't um, uh, get as as sort of bloody and in, internecine as that. But, um, you know, how have markets historically fared during wars? I mean, presumably not very well. Well, it, it, it again, it depends on on the time uh, time horizon. I mean, the, the mm. one you know, the no analogy is perfect, but I think back to uh, uh, Saddam uh, Hussein's invasion of, of Kuwait in in nineteen in nineteen ninety. The market declined for for a while, uh, and and again we had a, a spike in the oil price for the obvious reason. Uh, markets declined for a while, but but ultimately finished uh, uh, finished upward. So the uh, except for the countries directly involved, I mean, obviously Russia, which is under embargo from the rest of the world or sanctioned from the rest of the world, uh, mm-hmm. the stock market is suffering very badly and unsurprisingly. Uh, but uh, the for for for. The countries which are which are not combatants, uh, but which obviously are affected uh, by by conflicts, it's it's not uh, it's it's not clear that 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 a war is is always a, a, a signal to uh, uh, to retreat. I mean, it comes back to the issue we were speaking about a moment ago in terms of, of volatility. There's a lot of uncertainty, mm-hmm. uh, and that that said, uncertainty is. Uh, uh, is not a signal uh, to, to to change your investment portfolio. Historically, those who have invested during periods of, of high volatility or high uncertainty have have done well. Uh, it mm-hmm. may it may feel frightening, and it may take longer than than it would in other times. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, but the uncertainty in itself uh, is is not necessarily a a, a, a sign of a, an oncoming bear market. Mm. I see that uh, Dimson um, um, and, and Marsh and Staunton have, have just brought out their latest version yes. of the global uh, investment returns yearbook from from Credit Suisse. And, you know, that their research clearly shows 
as you say, that as long as you weren't Germany or or Austria, I think uh, I, I remember reading in in that report that Austria was the worst performance yes. market. Yes, absolutely right. Uh, apart from Russia, of course, uh, in the in the in the twentieth uh, century. Um, uh, you know that, that as long as you weren't, w- w- particularly one of the losers, if you like, um, yes. that, that that you that, that you didn't necessarily in the long term suffer. And as we all know, um, markets rebounded, um, and eventually in Japan, uh, massively yes. re- re- rebounded yes. before um, falling <laughs> falling again. Well, um, so 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 generally, what you're saying, Craig, is. You know, it, investors. The, the fact the fact that it's a war, and obviously, as long as it doesn't turn nuclear, obviously, uh, mm. it is is not necessarily a, um, a a nightmare outcome for their for their portfolios. No, and it's it's. I mean, I almost I, I hate to say it, Robin, because it makes it makes me sound very callous. Because I can be very callous, mm. of course. I know that, but I mean, it <laughs> makes me sound makes me sound callous. And look, we just abstracting from the moral issue, attract abstracting from you know the this the, the, the really inspirational mm. uh, uh, bravery of 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 the Ukrainians um, faced with this much much larger uh, uh, foe. Um. Abstracting from all that, uh, unless unless the war gets much worse, if there's a, a wider land war in Europe, uh, obviously that has implications beyond what we're seeing in 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 Ukraine, um, and and I don't mean to 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 minimize the degree of disruption. I mean, if, if particularly if Russian oil is sanctioned, uh, and of course President Biden announced yesterday, as we record this, that that U.S. would ban imports of of, of Russian. Russian energy, uh, much harder for Europe to do that, of course. Uh, but but particularly as it, it, to the degree that Russia is is isolated from the world economy, that will be disruptive. It will be a source of, of volatility. It will be a source of, of perhaps of, of of economic recession in in parts of Europe. And I don't mean to gain say that, but uh, but I but I come back to, to what we said earlier. Look look at look at history uh, and. Uh, uh, over time, uh, markets tend to rise. The capitalist system tends to do well, and it, it uh, highly volatile parts. I mean, uh, highly volatile uh, times are not a bad entry point. I mean, it, it, I think of something Warren Buffett's attributed is attributed to Buffett. I'm not. I'm not sure it's an exact quotation, but you know, you should you should uh, buy when when others are are, are fearful and, and sell when others are greedy. And and here's a time when many people are fearful. Mm. Exactly. Um, it's been fascinating talking to you about uh, about the Ukraine situation and, and the impact on, on the markets. I just want to ask you about a couple of other things before you go. Sure. Um, sure. I know you've written recently about um, the value premium. Um, and um, yeah, it's, it's been quite sort of stop start, hasn't it? But But basically the value premium has 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 reemerged, then sort of gone away again, and then and then come back again. Maybe maybe you could just explain what's sure, happened. Sure, sure. If you if you look at, I mean, it, it 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 the exact analysis depends on how you define value and how you define growth. But if you if you take you know the way that we typically do it at S and P and and split the S and P five hundred into a a value half and a growth half, mm. uh, what you see is there there are 
long periods of time when growth outperforms. There are long periods of time when value outperforms. We're currently, as you say, uh, in a period started last, uh, I want to say, December, uh, when value has been doing much better uh, than than growth. Um, and uh, if, if you look at the history uh, of, of value and growth, at least, again, as, as we measure it, uh, the the shortest period of of value dominance has been six months. The longest was four and a half years. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the, the fact that we're we're now uh, maybe four or five months into a period of of value outperformance mm-hmm. uh, does not tell you well. Be, you know, if if the longest historical period were six months and we're now at four, I'd say get ready to get ready to do something <laughs> because it's almost over. Uh, but uh, but but it's not. I mean, there have been periods. I think from from mid two thousand three, I think until until two thousand seven, long run when value did much much better, uh, much much better than growth. The other thing to, to that that analysis shows, if you do that, is because very people have asked. Well, it may be true that that value uh, does better than growth for for a multi year period. But it might also be the case that the majority of value's advantage occurs very early on, and uh, and after that, it sort of just just trickles in. Uh, and it turns out to be the case that, in fact, the value premium accrues fairly steadily. Uh, so if it's not it's not like of a in the fifty month period that we saw in two thousand uh, two thousand three two thousand seven. Uh, it is not the case that most of the benefit occurred very early on. It it occurred steadily over over time, uh, and so uh, that's not a that's not a in itself a forecast that 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 values outperformance will will continue. Uh, but certainly, there's nothing in the history that would say you know because we've done well for the the past or values done well for the past four or five months that uh, that it's time to begin worrying that 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 its its run is almost over. And the final question I want to ask you is about alternative investments. Um, you know, we're seeing this massive push, aren't we, at the moment, particularly yeah. in the institutional space, but also, you know, to, to, to a lesser extent in the retail space as well, uh, the, this push towards um, hedge funds, uh, private equity, uh, venture capital, and, and, and so on. Now, I know um, you, you guys at, at Spiva have been very much focused on, you know, the the public securities markets, if 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 you like. But um, what, what can you tell us about evidence as to, you know, whether or not these kind of investments have have um, delivered decent returns in the past? I'm thinking, for example, of a of a, of a study by Morningstar, which John Riekenthaler recently wrote about, which which he, he he actually showed that these alternative investments have been, I think the word he used was pretty useless uh, at kind of hedging against um, market falls, uh, certainly since 2007, um, and also haven't provided the diversification benefits that many people think they do. What's your own take on that? Uh, I, 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 what you, what you just said, Robert, is is, is very close to what what I I've, I've garnered from from my uh, from my reading about the subject. I mean, you're right that what what we do in in Spiva uh, relies on public markets because you, you we need to have prices, uh, and, uh, and and you know one of the I, I would say drawbacks of 
of alternative investments are they they tend to be relatively obscure. Uh, now, in some cases, that's that's necessary. I mean, if you're valuing if you're a venture capital fund and, and valuing a, a a private company and there's no public market for the shares, there's a certain amount of uh, flexibility in in how uh, how the valuations are done, and we certainly can't observe that from a, a universe standpoint. I guess I, I would say I think there are two things uh, that one might say, and I think I think the research uh, on on this would is 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 fairly uh, conclusive. One is that that uh, the Morningstar study uh, that you you cited is 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 correct that that as a group uh, that as a group alternative investments uh, have have done uh, certainly after costs have done uh, no better uh, for investors than they could have done simply by investing in in a well diversified index of, of public securities. Uh, I think the second thing that that's true is that uh, there there may be at least in some alternative categories kind of a, a hierarchy of of managers and there you can identify some who have done extremely well over time and really have provided value added to their clients and what's typically true of of, of, of those uh, those investors is that they won't take your money <laughs> they've already yeah. They've already got as much to invest as they as they need. I mean, this is one of the advantages. You, you, listeners will have heard perhaps of the, the so-called Yale model, pioneered mm. by the, the late uh, David Swenson. Mm. Uh, and and it, it, clearly the case that the, the, the Yale endowment, Yale University endowment, did extremely well over many years, uh, thanks uh, in no small part to, to, to Swenson's abilities. And one of the things he he did was very early on began to get to know venture capital firms, tried to figure out who the good ones were, uh, and uh, because he realized there was a huge gap in in performance, the asset cla- the asset class as a whole uh, may not may not do much for you. The very best managers uh, uh, may be able to do a great deal for you. The problem is the the uh, you you need to devote someone with Swenson's abilities <laughs> to mm-hmm. figuring out who the, who the best managers are yeah. uh, and, and then forging relationships with them so that, so that they can accept, uh, accept your money uh, as they would do with Yale. But, but the, you know, for, for the, from the standpoint of, of an individual investor uh, the likelihood of, of being able to do that analysis and finding a manager who, who, who wants uh, additional assets uh, is uh, it to me is not not worth the the trouble. You're you're much better off uh, just investing in, as I say, a, a broadly based index of public market securities, uh, which over time has done as done as well as the alternative asset classes uh, have done. Mm. Indeed, we saw the the SEC, didn't we, a, a few weeks ago, signal its intention to kind of uh, step up kind of transparency if you like in in the alternative investments uh, uh, space uh, particularly um private equity um yeah i mean it, it's unlikely of course that that we're ever going to get the kind of data that enables you to produce a, t- a table like yeah, spiva exactly. for, for example but presumably craig one day you and your colleagues will be able to 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 sort of we hope study the performance of private equity funds and, and, and venture capital funds uh, in a more meaningful way than you can at the moment? 
Yeah, it would. Uh, we would. We would love to be able to do it because obviously people people ask for this. Clients ask for this uh, all the time, and we'd we'd love to be able to do it. The the, the problem is simply the, uh, the obscurity of the data. And the other the other part of the problem I, I would say is even when you have databases of of alternative uh, asset returns, they're typically self reported, um, which means that if if I'm a private equity manager and I have a particular fund that, that hasn't done very well, maybe I don't report it. Uh, and uh, uh, and yet with the, the benefit of, of Spiven, the, the reason the reason uh, it, it I think has the the uh, the reputation that it has is it's it's done on a database of of mutual funds uh which are required to report and so you can adjust for survivorship effects and survivorship bias uh which is which is very important any any kind of investment analysis you do obviously if you're looking at returns uh historical returns you want to make sure they're adjusted for survivor bias and and spiva is and and uh it's not necessarily the case that that data on uh alternative investments uh has that has that same property Mm. Craig, thank you so much for your time today. And yeah, look forward to catching up with you again, you know, as this very interesting year that we've (laughs) we've embarked on unfolds. Thank you, Rob. It's always a pleasure to speak to you. And that's about it from this episode of the Tebby podcast brought to you by Regis Media. You've been listening to me, Robin Powell, interviewing Craig Lazara from S&P Dow Jones Indices. A big thank you to Craig for his time. I would also like to thank S&P Dow Jones Indices for its ongoing support of the evidence-based investor. Without the help of our strategic partners, we wouldn't be able to do the work we do. If you're interested in finding out how you too can partner with us, please do contact us via the Tebby website at evidenceinvestor.com. That's evidenceinvestor.com. Thanks for listening. Until next time, goodbye.